You're listening to the Irish Times. Summer is dying, Pat. There's not much of it left, but we are enthused this morning. But you can't start off by saying the summer is dying after the glorious weekend of sport that we had. <laughs> well, one sport. Yeah. Well, yes, indeed. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> Why, were you watching some, uh, some, some darts over the weekend? No, no. Hurling, all hurling all the time. Um, I was talking on my way into uh, the stadium yesterday I ran into one of the Croke Park's uh, press department people uh, and she was uh, uh, we had been, she had been there on the Saturday night as well having, watching uh, Kilkenny beat Limerick um, and she was going I don't like the I still don't like the, the two semi-finals in one weekend um, and I know what she means because it's a very un-GA thing to do mm. Like, for as long as we've been alive and for the hundred years before that, you know, big matches got their own weekend. Yeah. That, that was the way it always was. Uh, but I really enjoyed that weekend. And I really enjoyed the equivalent weekend last year. And I, I'm kind of all for it. Well, it helped that both years, the games really scaled the heights. There is that. The games were terrific. It's yeah. not like one of them was a, a, a duffer. In general, I... I think there's few enough hurling games. I think that they could be spread out a little bit to, and be given more space to breathe. Mm. But I don't think you could question that both this year and last year, the semifinals were just a rousing success. Well, it's like, what else would you be doing uh, in in Dublin City of a weekend than going these, to these two matches? Like, what? Are, they were just an hour and a half of tension uh, of a kind that you can't really get anywhere um, just sitting in a stadium. Actually, I noticed a, 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 what is a new and I think very welcome phenomenon yesterday in Croke Park, which was the amount of jerseys of neutral teams. I saw... Interesting. Yeah, people... I saw Cork, Offaly, Armagh, Antrim, Down, Waterford and clear jerseys. Go away. Yeah, and none of them were involved in the minor games either. No, no, no. Like they just were see, going along. See, I wouldn't along. see that in the press box bubble, but you were out amongst yeah, the people. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm down with the people. <laughs> but, uh, but, but people just kind of went and, as you said, obviously thinking, what else would I be doing over a weekend? Mm. I'm going to go. And they wore their own county colours. I thought it was kind of delightful. Little yeah, little very thing cool, to do. yeah. yeah. Um, Kilkenny and Tip, All-Ireland Final, boring. Yeah, what, six in a, six one in 11 years? Is that what six it's going to be? Six in 11 years, the fifth of the decade. I, th- I don't think, though, we're not at the point where we think this one's boring, are we? It is not boring in the slightest, I don't think. Uh, I think there was a point around maybe 2011 where it was maybe mm. getting a bit kind of boring. But uh, I remember writing this before the 2016 final as well. Uh, this is not boring in the slightest because, you know, like in 2011, they were the two best teams in the country and there was probably a bit of clear water between the two of them and everybody else. Like I think, wasn't that their third All-Ireland final in a row? Yeah. Um, you would have got good money on, at the start of the championship betting on a Tipperary Kilkenny final. Absolutely, yeah. Wouldn't you? Like it, it, they were not considered to be among the top. Like I remember talking to you at the start of the championship. Nobody knew what Tipperary were. No, nobody had, had any a clue. Idea. And if if we thought we knew what Kilkenny were, we didn't think it was all Ireland final material. 
or All Ireland champion material at least. Like there's always the chance that Kilkenny can kind of Irish or, you know, we'll get there in the end, which is what they have done. Um, but like you weren't, we weren't sitting here at the start of May going tip Kilkenny final, not by a long shot. Yeah, like in, in, most people saw it as an upset that Kilkenny beat uh, Limerick at the weekend, it was and, an upset, and yeah. quite rightly. Yeah. And I mean, there's no question, but. Tip didn't have have much altitude coming into the mm. game yesterday, and uh, and Wexford on fifty minutes. You'd if you said to Davy, "Hey Davy, you're five points up with twenty minutes to go, and you've an extra man," he would say, "Yeah, give me that all day of the week," and he would expect to win mm. from there. Um, but it's gone the other way, and we're back with a Cody Sheedy final. Cody Sheedy final, yeah. Sheedy has been. This is Sheedy's fourth year in charge of Tip, uh, and his third All Ireland final. And each time he, he has met Cody. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> so it's one each. One each. So this is uh, 70 minutes to break the tie. Oh, I'm sure they'll manage it. Uh, later in the show, we're going to have uh, an old friend and mentor of ours on. Uh, Jerry Siggins is going to be here talking about a, a completely historic uh, sporting event last week in Lords in England, in London in England uh, where Ireland played England in their first uh, test match in Lords, um, and it was phenomenal to see it happen and on a personal note for, we've known Jerry an awful long time he's mm. been Mr Cricket for an awful long time uh, for him to be there for Ireland to skittle England out before lunch on the first day um, was incredible so we're going to talk to him about that what it was to be around all of that but first, we'll talk about the momentous weekend in Croke Park, and we're joined by Jackie Tyrrell from somewhere in deepest Wexford. How are you, Jackie? I'm great. I'm great. Malachy today now. Yeah, it's uh, bouncing out of bed this morning now. It's uh, three, we- three weeks of looking forward and talking and, and uh, pulling these two teams apart, and hopefully they, they continue the great, the great rivalry of Kilkenny and Tip, and it's uh, great to be talking to another fellow Tip man there not too far away from the <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure he feels the same. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we can definitely talk for, like I said, we'll talk for a few weeks, Jackie, but then, then I, w- I definitely don't think I'll, I'll be having anything to do with you the day after the All-Ireland. <laughs> <laughs> like the Cold War, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. Uh, where do we start? Let's start on Saturday, um, I guess. Um, the whole of the country, I guess, shouldn't really be surprised that Kilkenny find their way back uh, eventually. Um, to me on Saturday night, Jackie, and I know, look, it's hard to take away from players, but I was just—I just walked out of Croke Park so stunned by Cody being able to do this again. Yeah, it's like Kenny won won the game on two fronts. On one, which was the manic aggression they brought and the huge work rate, but two, they just were so tactically aware. Mm. Their game plan they got right, and and you know the team that is so good with systems and how they play and, and playing around sweepers and all that is Limerick so for Kenny to be so dominant on that front it was a huge huge carrot for Brian Cody and his management team and they, they, they just got all those big matchups right they got all the, the, the puck out strategy they just shut down Limerick all over the place um, and it was just a masterclass from, from their point of view which is something Kenny don't delve a whole lot into tactics but there was so much preparation you could see gone into that uh, gone into that game and even Wally Welsh like you could see him on the puck outs he was just hedging there and like five he was just backpedalling five yards and he went from a place of being able to not be de- to give Dermot Burns a sharp puck out and be able to influence 
the space behind him as well. It was just they obviously did a huge amount of work on the puckouts in particular, and that that when they shut the Limerick puck that puckout down, that took the oxygen out of Limerick and gave Kilkenny a chance to get on top. Even Cody, even twenty years into his reign, he finally mentioned tactics in a in a post game press conference. He he just he did <laughs> like and, and like we like we gave up asking him about tactics about ten years ago. But he eventually he did even bring it up himself. He said there was just so many tactics in that game, you know. <laughs> Yeah, the, the ball word in Kilkenny for T all the time was Tipperary, but I think it's kind of got the tactics now. It just, just wasn't mentioned now. But uh, yeah, like you, you couldn't put ignore it. It was written all over that all over that team. And uh, it was, um, yeah, it was, it was. but you, you, you have to, Maliki, you have to come to the party as regards from a tactical point of view. But it was just that there was so much emphasis on it from a Kilkenny point of view. Normally it's like, the balance is like 95% wrapped up in, in, in a work rate and you know, application and attitude. But like there was, there was so much tactical manoeuvring in that Kilkenny, Kilkenny team and changing lads around. And even like even Richie Hogan and John Donnelly and, and Colin Fenley who was kind of surprised to be taken off. They almost had predetermined times of when these guys were going to be taken off and the lads were brought, going to be brought on and the bench had an impact again. It was, it was a very pre-planned All-Ireland semi-final for Kilkenny. What was interesting about watching Limerick all year is that every game they played, you, you looked at their system and how it was so set that they seemed to dictate the terms of any game that they played in. But Kilkenny managed to take that away from them on, on Saturday through, I guess, a combination of, of work rate. And as you said, shutting down the, uh, shutting down the puck out was, was the huge thing, really, wasn't it? It was. And, and there's a couple of parts to the Limerick thing that works so well. They, they win the middle third, they, they win the majority of those puck outs, and then they create these triangles, these weaves, where they just have in an area that they're really saturated with bodies, this slick passing, and then eventually at the right time it's delivered into a lateral run, Peter Casey or Aaron Galland. So when they shut the puck outs down, when they got in their faces, when these weaves and these triangles weren't being formed, um, well then obviously that ball going into the inside forward line wasn't as frequent and wasn't the quality that it, that, that it normally is. Um, so that just suffocated, took 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 the uh, oxygen out of this limit team. And then they started to do some silly things, Pat. They started to uh, over-elaborate on a ball. They were a little casual. They were, they were, they were um, you know, bringing, bringing your centre-forward back to centre-back like that to me. Um, and he did a decent job. It steadied the ship, like, but they were just rattled at that stage. And, and But what, when Kenny were on top, they were scoring. They were rattling off mm. scores. They were taking the team on. And, uh, you know, maybe Limerick were a little probably slow and maybe getting Declan Hannon off the field. Like, cause it was a situation where, where a puck out came down in the first half and uh, Declan Hannon just caught, Dick or TJ just caught the ball and Declan Hannon, he didn't even turn and run after him. He just... He was just lost. He didn't know. Like he just didn't seem to know where he was. His coordination was all over the place. And Limerick just kind of were slow on the line from that point of view. Um, but it was just an awesome display from Kilkenny. Uh, Jackie, the, the really interesting thing. I watched the game. I watched the second half back on uh, Sunday morning, just as I was doing up the report for the paper. Um, and it, it, I wanted to, to check exactly how close uh, Limerick came to equalising at any stage. And it was the fact they got it back to one point four times and four times they they had a chance to equalise. 
and their la- four yeah. four of their last five wides came when they were one point behind, and that was Kyle Hayes's one from the middle of the pitch with nobody near him. It was Garrod Hegarty had one from the middle of the pitch with almost nobody near him. It was Dermot Burns' long free. Uh, from sixty-five, from his own sixty-five, that like you know the distance was no problem to him, but it still went a yeah. good bit wide. Like just in those specific ones, I, I like like it's hard to say they froze, but the game would have been different had they equalised. It really felt like that in the stadium if they they just they were behind for so much of the game, and those chances to to draw level were so crucial. Yeah, there would have been massive psychologically. It was mm. almost like the two of them were staring at each other. Next person to flinch loses. And, and Limerick flinched in those four or five instances. It reminded me almost of that chance Kevin Moran had in the 2017 yeah. uh, All-Ireland in Galway where he was on his own, probably had too much time and, and hit it wide. But yeah, it was it was, um, it was was very unlimerick like They're normally very clinical and cold in those situations. And as you say, four or five really good opportunities that... They're well scorable. Um, but in fairness to Kilkenny, they reacted every time. Every time. They got a score. Mm. And, and you know, it was, it was, it was like, it, and it was so obvious. The puck out was going out in TJ. He dropped to the wing and somehow he was winning them. He was winning those puck outs with three, four lads around. Um, and that was so important to Kilkenny that when they went to their go-to guy, TJ was there and he'd either win the ball or he'd even just create parity, hold the ball up there. You just knew when the ball went to TJ, Limerick weren't going to win it and come straight back down the field. It was I, just going to give him a chance to breathe and sometimes, and the majority of times he won him. I must say, Jackie, I like. I thought he was amazing in that second half. Like, he only scored one point in the second half and if you're saying a second half of a game where TJ Reid only scores one point, you're kind of going, Jesus, he must have been out of it. I Like, he, he really put... Kilkenny on his back uh, in that one almost that one specific thing of pure ball winning possession gathering and he like there was at one stage where he came out and like he must have four different Limerick guys must have had a cut off and must have hit him and he still held on to possession and I think found oh was it Paddy Deegan coming up on the wing or uh, it was it was one of the defenders came, uh, found space out on the right and came up on the wing like he was just that and it was pure leadership like he scored seven points in the first half only one in the second half but that leadership in the second half was why he got man of the match yeah, it was unbelievable. And, and a lot of the work he done, probably not enough high up the field to influence it on the score, but what he did from, a, as you said, it was it was like that time Henry Shefflin went to centre-forward in the in the Galway All-Ireland 2012 when he was just operating at a level. He couldn't get enough of the ball. It was just, hit the ball down on me, hit it again. Mm. I, it doesn't matter who's marking me. I'll win the ball. I literally put the team on my back. And it's probably unfair to say that because the other 14 were magnificent. But we, when we needed someone to just rise above the parapet, when Limerick, when that green tide was coming, when they got it back to the point, each time TJ was like, I'm here, lads, just give it to me. I'll get something from it. I'll win a free. Or as you say, I'll draw two or three defenders and then pop it to someone that's able to get put the planter foot and deliver a ball in. And even even the ball he won out of the sideline for James Maher's score, which probably could have sealed, probably did seal the win. 
he was right on the sideline and instead of taking a crazy shot he just seen Bill Sheen inside one on one and just looped the ball into an air like such intelligence mm. at a key point to just put it in there it's in the danger area and we might get something from it and they, they did Bill uh, held it up James Marr won the break and they got a score over he's just I, 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 I'd have to go back and look at it, but I don't think he made one bad or even average decision. Every decision was the right thing for the team, for TJ Reid, for Brian Cody and his management. And it was just, I'd have to watch it again. It was one of the great performances from a forward that probably didn't score a whole lot. But by God, did he contribute in other, in other facets. Um, if we move on to uh, Sunday's game, Jackie, Tipperary in the Munster final got a lot of criticism for their reaction after going a few points down to Limerick that it, it felt like that they'd kind of folded and uh, and Limerick absolutely walked all over them in the second half of the match. Yesterday, they went uh, down to 14 men when John McGrath was sent off. Then Lee Chin comes through for the goal. They're five points down. They're down to 14 men. And if they had any excuse that they wanted to walk away and leave that game after them, they could have taken it at that point. But they didn't and it's uh, it's to their credit, wasn't it? Oh, it was. And it uh... Or TJ Reid was probably not on his own. He was on that level. There were so many of the Tipperary lads that responded from the from the backs in Ronan Mar all the way up to Shamey Canlon. It was an awesome display of just literally grabbing the game by the scruff of the neck. And you would it, it, it would be more reason for him to fall flat yesterday than in the Munster final. And you know, I I I I had serious questions. I said, I I can't, I can't. I did I did think they'll win, but I said I don't, I can't, because they weren't flowing, they weren't getting scores at that time. But within in the, in the space of maybe two three minutes, they just banged off three scores. Noel McGrath just got two unbelievable ones. Mm. Uh, Bubbles on the wire got one, and then one broke to Seamus Canlon. But they were just awesome, Pat. They they exude leadership they exuded and like you you say like we talk about the lack of perceived pace in this in this Tipperary team that they're aging but there was only one team where they're springing their step with 10 minutes to go and and that could have been a bit that for Wexford to get into position they were it was a mass running game their backs were up and down the field and that maybe toll on them a bit but in fairness to 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 Tipperary and to Liam Sheedy they were they, their peak performance was yesterday. They came they came to Crow Park yesterday, delivered a massive performance. Uh, their key lads stood up and they played a game that was probably alien to him in a sense that, you know, Barry Heffernan had four on his back and you, you could almost say he would play midfield most of the game. Um and they, they just were so flexible, uh, never panicked, kept sticking to what they were about. And you know, like this Tipperary team are are a series, and they're striking me as a team now that have kind of drawn a line in the sand, saying, "Look, lads, we're pushing on in our years. This 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 could potentially be some of our our last years uh, with this panel, and we're hungry for success, and we're just we're as I say, that not today mentality came in. They just we're going to find a way to get get over the line." It's it's funny though you say there about the the shape of the game and Tipperary's tactics were int- interesting in that they seem to have to improvise their way through the whole game. Like I don't think at the start of the game it would have been their plan that Ronan Maher would have spent a large chunk of the second half basically as a fullback, but they essentially had to sort of firefight how fluid the Wexford system is and come up with something on on the fly. Really, wasn't it? They did, yeah. They did. We saw flexible. Yeah, like like Ronan Maher potentially probably was fullback. Barry Heffernan. Probably was midfield. Park Mar was all over the place. Brendan Mar was cornerback, was wing back. There was no set place at all. Bubbles of the wire in the first half spent half the time in his own half tracking back Sean Murphy. Uh, likewise on the other side, um, 
but it just shows how intelligent and how good hurlers they are. Like Ronan Marr played well, was brilliant at fullback. Barry Heflin, I thought, was excellent in the role he played. Um, so look, it, it wasn't. I'd, I wouldn't say it was that they were totally thinking on their feet. They knew what Wexford were going to bring. I'd never seen Wexford as attack-minded from their back, though, yesterday. So Tipperary wouldn't have seen that coming and did react, and they re- reacted very well. And it took a, lot, a while for them to kind of get their heads around it because there was opportunities, particularly in the first half, where the two flanks in the, in the Tipperary defence were wide open. Mm. Dermot O'Keefe was slipping into him, Sean Murphy was slipping into him, and there was chances for goal. Then Wexford didn't pick that up. Um, but, in, but then in the second half, they just... They cut down those chances a bit. Um, and when the man went off, they just, to, to a man, they all just rose up their performance another 5-10%. We'll get to the the downside of it for, for Wexford in a second, Jackie. Let's let's talk about it up to the 50th minute. Like, that is as as well as, as it could have gone for Wexford almost. Uh, apart from, as you say, the odd time when they seemed to have like a three on two and just took their point. Like, did that was that a lack of ruthlessness that came came back to haunt them, or was that their game plan just working almost perfectly? Like the that that they were finding their their halfbacks and wingbacks and and the odd and even Liam Ryan at one stage got up for a point. They were I remember you writing a column about Davy Sweeper system like two years ago and the beauty of it and how how it. The, the beauty of it is that it works to release players up the pitch that the opposition don't know how to follow or aren't ready for. And this was it working in absolute symphony for those sort of first 50 minutes almost. Yeah, it was perfection outside of maybe the, the opportunities that they didn't take. It was, it was so fluid. But what it did was it put Tipperary players in really vulnerable positions that they didn't want. Uh, like you... Bubbles of the wire does not want to be running back facing his own game mm. goal uh, track of the man. Um, uh, it's the same with the other with the other Tipperary with the other. But, it, but there was other little facets of it. Kevin Foley for I, I would say for ninety five percent of the puckouts stepped up on Michael Breen and and forced him to go along. And then as soon as he did that, it was just it could be Jack O'Connor. It, could be sometimes Conor McDonald just heard back to get that extra defender. Like they, they had it perfected. They knew everyone knew the role in it. And it was it was to be honest, it was beautiful to watch. Mm. Like this free flown uh game of it their full back line attacked the ball, it was off the shoulder, there was someone coming again, they were reusing the flanks. It kind of reminded me of Dublin a small bit in the football, the way they used the wit. Mm. Like they're 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 hearing lads literally up the line, flying past Davy Fitz. They were creating so many chances. It was it was like I wouldn't be not, not a fan of the sweeper, but you'd have to look at it just and go, God, there's a future in that kind of a game. Look, it takes huge athleticism, it takes huge uh, energy levels and things like that, and maybe they came up a bit short in the sense that they would have went expended too much energy in the first half. But it was hugely successful, created all, all sorts of problems. Um, a mastermind from from Davy Fitz in, in what he what he brought to us. Um, like, like I, I was looking at Matthew Hanlon cornerback on Jason Ford. I was like, that's not really where Wexford want to be. They need him under the high But he was brilliant. Mm. Liam Ryan was brilliant at the edge of the square. Um, and they just they just were all oh, the backs were comfortable going forward. They all Liam Ryan got a score, Potty Foley got a score. They were totally comfortable in that system and what they played. It was a, it, it was just I thought it was it was actually beautiful to watch just the diverse options that Wexford brought from a defensive point of view, from a attack-minded point of view, it was great. 
And so let's talk about where it went wrong then. You know, Lee Chin gets in, goes in for his goal again. <laughs> I mean, he even took his goal when they had an, uh, another man inside. Uh, but like it went in, so nobody gives out to him for it. Uh, 50 minutes gone, five points ahead, a man up. How do they allow Tipperary to score five points in a row in the next seven minutes and just kill that lead? Yeah. I just wonder, a bit of fatigue started to creep mm. in. They started coughing up the ball in the middle third. There was one there where a ball broke to Matthew O'Hanlon um, and there was a runner gone and he just picked and popped the pass. And it was just half a yard too long. Tipperary intercepted, Noel McGrath hits it over the mm. bar in the first half that was going to hand. Maybe in the first half, he doesn't even pop that pass. He just takes it. You know, just started, I'm not even going to say lazy. How could you say lazy? Just that mental fatigue where it was just an easier option than actually picking it up and maybe being being tackled. Mm. Um, that gave a bit. But, but I just, the, Kevin Foley definitely dropped back a small bit. Their half-back line dropped off it and they just these little pockets of space between their midfield and their half-back line started to come. Bubbles of the wire drifted into the once. Noel McGrath stepped into that breach a couple of times. And that just brought him in. But I, I, Tipperary definitely ramped it up. I think Wexford got a little nervous. They could, at that point, they could now see the finish line. Mm. They're relatively new to All-Ireland semi-finals and really, really big stage hurling. And I just think that they, they, they just got a bit uptight, started making a few probably poor decisions. And Tipperary were a lot more clinical in that. And I would I would, I would, would still go back to that, that running game, that high-octane game, um, Dermot O'Keefe looked out in his legs. Uh, a few of the other lads in that middle third where they needed more energy. And the Tipperary lads seemed to be reveling in it and coming more more into the game. But the Tipperary bench also, God, they emptied the bench so quick. And, and in that middle, middle third, Mark Hill, um, he, he got a great score. Willie, Willie Connors. Connors got yeah. a good, Yeah, they started to contribute. And you could just see it starting to slip. And when Tip got a sniff of, sniff of it, in fairness, they were ruthless and they just they just drove on and made each score count. From a Tip point of view, I suppose there are you, you can win a game and there are other ways to win a game. And I think after the sort of the ferocious intensity that we saw on the game on Saturday, people were thinking, well, Tipperary haven't been at that pitch this season. Does was that in a in a strange way for Liam Sheedy, the going down to fourteen men and having to like uh, you know dig it out of a quarry, as it were? Was that the ideal way for Tip to win and to go into the final? Oh, I would say so, Pat. Like you would have to look at and you'd have to say they were put to the pin of their collar, they were tested, their metal was tested, they were tested physically, and they had all the answers, and their big players stepped up like that. They, Liam Sheedy will be rubbing his hands. So I, I, I actually think both managers will be just this morning delighted. Obviously with the win, but looking forward going, we have one great chance here. It'll be relatively, as the game of Hurling is, conventional in a sense that excuse me, it won't be hugely tactical. It will be, there'll be generally a relative shape on it. Um, but I, I think Tipperary are in a really, really great place. I felt there was still a thing in this Tipperary's tail. It came yesterday. I still think there's this thing in that tail. Um, and it's amazing to think that in the space of three, four weeks, Tipperary go from having no bench to now having a strong bench. And do not underestimate the under-20s winning for the mentality of that group against Cork. I know it's a different team, but just I, I, I felt that would have had a role yesterday, would have given those lads a bit of confidence, Jerome Call and those lads coming on. And it's amazing to think now that Tipperary have options off their bench. 
Jackie, uh, we will talk many times between now and then. And uh, thank you so much for uh, joining us this morning. No problem. Thanks very much. I, I don't think I'll say the same about Pat. We probably won't talk. <laughs> you, so I, I hope we'll be friends. I will be I the intermediary. Be yeah, <laughs> I, I, I'll, I'll be the peacemaker between the two of you. The most enjoyable bit of sport last week before the weekend that we just talked about, Pat, was, of course, the cricket. We love anything with a stick and a ball, basically. Anything with a stick and a ball, indeed. Um, we have uh, in studio with us Jer Siggins, who covered the cricket for us and for most newspapers in the Western world uh, last week Last week from Lords. Uh, Jer, thanks a million for coming in. Before we get in too much into the nuts and bolts of, 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 of the game itself, like, you've been around Irish cricket your lifetime. Well, what was it like to be in Lords on Wednesday morning as, as they took on England in a test, before a ball was even bowled? It was, uh, it was emotional. There was a feeling of, we've reached the end of a road. Obviously, there's a bit more road ahead, as yeah. these things always work out like. But yeah, it was it was very much a feeling that Irish cricket had arrived somewhere special, and mm. it was a, it's it's a fairly special place. It's a bit different to your average cricket ground, and yeah. there's some there's definitely that aura and mystique that you only get in in the really special places like yeah. like Croke Park or these sort of places, Aviva Stadium. But yeah, no, it was really. Uh, there was definitely a, a lot of emotion going around. Yeah, because I saw a lovely uh, tweet that you put out sort of mid-morning. I wasn't sure, what, was it after the England had been bowled out, where you were remembering sort of old press box colleagues that, that were in, yeah. were do, covering cricket and writing about cricket years and years and years and aren't with us anymore, that, you know, would have, would have just loved a day like that. Yeah, absolutely. I've, I've just finished writing a history of Leinster cricket this, the mm. centenaries this year and I've spent a lot of time this winter going up back to the particularly Irish Times archives and uh, reading people like Sean Pender and Carl Johnson and people like that who Stanley Bergen um, who wrote fantastic stuff and obviously would have given anything to be there but mm. that was their time was, was up before before the chance arose yeah, yeah. it was fascinating that yeah. what is it explain the game on Sunday, uh, uh, over those three days, like, like it was such a. Even if you just take out the two teams, if you, if if you're just looking at a a, a sample test match, um, for it just to be over in in under three days, like okay, it was only supposed to be a four day test anyway. It was it was a mad game of cricket. It was a mad game of cricket. Yeah. I mean, there there have been plenty instances of games finishing in yeah. in less than that sort of time. Uh, the only other four-day game that's been in the last forty years finished in two days. <laughs> uh, so you know things things do happen quickly in cricket, and it's an increasing trend because players are playing a much more aggressive brand of the game than than they have been. Things happen quicker, and those sort of collapses. I mean, there was there was certainly four collapses, big collapses in the mm. game, and there weren't just the two low scores, but in each of the, the other beginnings, the teams just went from like a house of cards, mm. and that that happens quite a lot these days. So. But to be honest, and completely honest, and I, I don't know if your sports editors will appreciate me saying this, but or any of my sports editors, but I actually still don't have a full handle on what happened in that match. Mm. I don't really. There were so many things about it that were were confusing and and wrong and things that shouldn't have happened, um, and I'm sure we'll be mulling about it for for the winter to come. Mm. Um, but it was a it was a it was like a. Like like most great games of cricket, it was it was attritional, it was tight, and it was it was like chess. It was just you didn't know what was going to happen next, mm. and and uh, well, 
unfortunately Ireland didn't didn't uh, turn out well in the end, but it was uh, it was fascinating to watch. I found myself wondering on the first morning. Um, because Lords and we were there for the first time ever, and like people from your own perspective, as you say, you're there, emotional and kind of really feeling it. And I think a lot of people were worried that we might just be embarrassed that something that we could just get absolutely England could bat for the day, and then we get skittled, and it'd be awful and embarrassing. Mm. Talk us through the madness of the first morning. And yeah, your reaction, kind of sitting there watching. Well, that. C- certainly, your point you make is absolutely right. It was. The tone of, of most of the previews and the chat beforehand was that this could go really, really badly wrong. Ireland's Ireland's team isn't as strong as it was, and in, in the team that got us to the to this level isn't there anymore. And they there was a potential there for 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 carnage. England have a very strong side, um, so there was a feeling that it might be all about damage limitation. In fact, when they when England won the toss and decided to bat, there was a bit of a relief in that. Yeah, they're going to bat for a day and a half now, and they're going to get six hundred runs, and at least the game will go yeah. go a, a good distance. And at we, least there'll be something to we'll watch ask, here. Yeah. There'll be something to watch on Saturday. <laughs> yeah, um, and and it's entirely England's fault that we didn't have to watch on Saturday. I'm afraid, but it, the conditions were they certainly weren't as radical as they were on the on the final day. But on, on the first day, you know, the conditions helped. Helped Ireland to a degree. Tim Murta knows what he's doing on that pitch, and uh, they just blew them away. It was to go. I can't remember when the first wicket fell, six or seven or so. But England had got into a you know a reasonable position. I think they got to about thirty for one. Yeah, maybe. Still, yeah, about that. Yeah. And and then it just went 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 off off the off the rails. And there, the word I heard most around from everybody was was surreal. People just didn't understand what was going on. Hmm. Um, and was that Irish journalists or English journalists Irish, or both? Irish journalists, Irish supporters. I, I did a bit of rambling around during the morning to, just to get a flavour of what was going on with outside and the people were pinching themselves. It really was. And, and, and several of the players said, look, I'm covered in bruises because I just have to keep pinching myself what was going on that morning. Mm. Um, but but it made for a fantastically gripping test match afterwards because of it. Um, it, was, it was, but it was Tim Murtis. Just a genius with with with, with a, an English scene ball and those sort of conditions. If you're looking at it too from the point of view of that promoting the game, an explosion of the the surreal like that, it's kind of ideal, really, isn't it? Because we ended up. I, I was here in the newsroom on the day that was going on, and eventually everybody was gathered around the television, and there was wickets falling like it was a one day thing. And you, uh, you or T twenty or T like twenty, yeah. 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 So you were trying to explain to people this isn't normal. What's mm. going going on here? No. But but that's great from the point of view of of cricket, isn't it? I suppose so. Yeah. I mean, like, it's not my job to market the game, but uh, <laughs> they, I, I'm sure, cricket Ireland will try and bring bring that sort of excitement and and inclusivity that people were all getting behind the Irish team into into the way they go forward. But it's uh, it was it was a very strange. Uh, little little session of play. because it's an interesting sport like that in that it's it is one of the of course one of the very few sports that is it, you know it's, it's essentially background you can have it on in the in the background uh, over the whole over the course of a whole day like you can't read like the all the other sports you sort of have to be watching it even like I I was the previous Friday I had been at home trying to do a bit of work and trying to watch the golf and that's kind of hard because you're, there's always something to watch in the golf even though it's a, a day long sport whereas 
you know, when you're at home trying to do a bit of work and watching the cricket, that's absolutely fine because you can just lift your head up every, you know, every sort of four or five balls or whatever or at the end of each over. Um, but it is... <laughs> Dion Fanning wrote a brilliant piece uh, for Joe Dogai over the weekend where he took his little five-year-old son uh, to Lords uh, last weekend, or last week, just as his father, Angus Fanning, noted, you know, cricket lover over the years when he was editor of the Sunday Independent and when he wasn't. Um, had taken Dion and uh, loads of time when he was a kid and he had a great line in it where he was <laughs> he was a friend of his had texted him uh, he had told him he had brought his, his young son on the on the Wednesday and the friend texted him back and said you've got to bring him again on Thursday just so he knows that it isn't like this <laughs> <laughs> and to teach him about the sport for life but it was uh, it was phenomenal. I, let's talk about a sort of a match situation then. So they they they've bowled England out for what was sixty odd, uh, eighty five. Eighty five. Sorry, sixty odd. Eighty five. Uh, it'll be down to forty by. It'll be down to Christmas. <laughs> Indeed, yeah. Um, are people thinking they're going to win this now or what? No, I don't think people would have thought. That we're going to win it now because mm. you just bowled England for eighty-five. Because even in even your average club game or whatever, yeah. teams have to bat. Both teams have to bat before yeah. you could even start thinking about making. Yeah. You know the, how Ireland would have responded to it. Now Ireland actually responded really well, and mm. but it's a, it was a four innings game, and it was a long, long way to go. Cricket does have this habit of switch backing, mm. switching back on itself, and all sorts of things going, and the game's veering all over the place, and that's what happened in that game, Ireland. Ireland got themselves into a position to win, though, and that was mm. the most impressive thing. I think the idea that's that's something that was not imaginable before the game that Ireland would be in a position to beat England. I don't think I don't think even beating England was ever on the on the agenda. Certainly, certainly not for most people. Maybe maybe the coach taught it. Mm. In fact, that's what he said on the night before the game when we met him. But people laughed when he said it. You know, so that that getting to a point of of thinking that you can beat England while the match is on. Yeah, that was nearly the success in itself. Oh yeah, that was a huge success. Yeah, and it, it, it's also, I think, the thing that will rankle most with the players and supporters mm. for for years to come is, you, know, Ireland's not going to get a chance to go and play England at Lords very often. Mm. It might be five or six years before that happens again, mm. and you know most of those players will be gone. They'll always regret the fact that they didn't have what it took to, to to to, to make that final mm. click. You know. Um, but that's that's experience. Ireland are very raw this type of cricket, and that pressure must have been enormous on that morning. Mm. Um, as I said, Ireland's cricketers really the batting really their technique wasn't really sorted. wasn't really the problem. It was more to do with just two absolutely top of the top of the range bowlers um, who didn't want to lose and and the conditions really swung in England's favour for like. What a weird thing to happen almost in a, in a in the hottest week in London's history yeah. that for the crucial two hours of the test uh, they have to put on the floodlights because they have the absolute perfect yeah. swing bowling or seam bowling yeah. conditions. You, you might just explain to the uninitiated why, why the overhead conditions made... England's job that bit easier on the on the Friday morning. Well, the, the cricket ball that they use in England is a, is a particularly it's got a you know, people understand about the seam on a cricket mm. ball. It's not it's, it's something that's stitched together, and because of that, the seam 
sticks out a bit. Mm. Um, it's quite, the ball they use in England is, is got a greater seam than it would have elsewhere around the world, which means that, you know, when the ball bounces, it, it can do things. If you hit the seam, it can veer off left, veer off right. And that obviously makes it harder for a batsman to, mm. to play their shots. Um, in in very heavy atmospheric conditions, man, the humidity was was enormous. It was literally you could taste water as you as you you tried to fill your lungs, and that's that's not a not an easy thing to do. The, the ball loops around all over the place because it's it's hitting these air pockets and whatever. Mm. I'm not a, I'm not a physicist. I, mm. I don't really understand the aerodynamics yeah. of all yeah. this, but I know that when I, when I, when the overhead conditions are are dark and gloomy and humid, um, cricket balls do bizarre things yeah. and the very first ball of that final day Ireland got to bowling and were, were nine wickets down and uh, Stuart Thompson who was, was a good brave hearted bowler not a not a huge swinger of the ball yeah. made it bend like a banana and as soon as we saw that we said ooh <laughs> I think that's uh, I mean I've never been as as underwhelmed by an Irish wicket in my <laughs> is life that right? as seeing that because I said that this is this is chaos and I was talking to somebody who was in the box with um with Angus Fraser, the, the mm. former England scene bowler, and he said, this is over by lunch. Really? And he was absolutely bang on. Yeah. Wow. Because it was, it, it was uh, interesting then. Like, like it, was so, it was so, it was so mad that w by the time uh, Will Porterfield was being interviewed by Mike Atherton afterwards, doing the post-match interviews that they, the, that they do on the pitch, uh, the sun was blazing. Yeah, oh, and yeah. he was kind of looking over his shoulder and going, "We could have done with this an hour ago." Like, yeah. I mean, there was there was the usual uh, English newspaper guff about the look of the Irish, and, mm. and there's absolutely nailed that this week because not only did Ireland have to deal with these ridiculous conditions to bat in, but England got the very best of the conditions to bat in mm. the day before when England, you know, I think the condition it was the hottest day ever in London, London's hottest ever day, uh, yeah. and the fact that England got to go out there. And, just make hay in that, yeah. on that flat pitch was, was scary. So looking ahead now, from England's point of view, the Ireland game was meant to be a comfortable little warm-up ahead of the Ashes. It hasn't quite worked out like that for them. But it, it, the game didn't go well for them. Joe Root was actually, he had a major go at the state of the pitch, said that it was an unfair contest between bat and mm. ball. It sounded kind of a little bit like sour grapes and like oh, yeah. excuses, didn't it? Absolute, just deflection. Where does straight from the Sir Alex Ferguson it? school of how to get away with it? Yeah, it was um, awful. Where does uh, th that test leave them ahead of the Ashes? Do you think? I don't think it helps them very much at all. They're they went into the game with a real problem over their top three. Jason Roy did did reasonably well, but not convincingly. Uh, they they really don't the, the thought of England going into an Ashes series but not knowing who their top three are going to be is must be really scary for them um, particularly when you're facing as good an Australian team attack as they've had in a few years now and I think that'll be that'll be the most interesting thing this week is to see how they cope. There, there's people kind of speculating that it could actually end up being quite a low scoring Ashes series. Yeah, I think that's that's absolutely right. That the bowling neither side has has got a has got great batting. They're all full of patchy, patchy players. They've got Roos, they've got Smith on, on the Australian side who are probably two of the best players in the world but besides that there's an awful lot of, of journeymen there um, whereas the bowling um, Jimmy Anderson Stuart Broad in, in English conditions could be you know it's their last hurrah they're, they're going to they're gonna do well Wokes has turned into a fine bowler 
Australia have Hazelwood and Stark and Cummins who will blow away that English top order. I don't have no doubt about that at all. The pitches in England have generally been poor enough this year. It's not just Lords um, that they complained about. So yeah, I think it could be it could be a tricky little lashes. Um, I don't think there'd be too many matches last in five days. Though I'm not sure they they last as short as their one. Yeah. Nashes is always good though. It's always, it's always like it's always a highlight of a year when there's an Ashes, an Ashes yeah. especially one in England. You know that you don't have to stay up all night listening to it on the radio. <laughs> I think staying up all night is part of the charm. Of part of the charm, the but the, the char- charm wears off by the fourth night. I find yeah. sometimes. <laughs> well, I won't miss. I'll, I'll have it on all the way through, and hopefully uh, it'll still be live by the time the GA season is over so I can spend <laughs> spend some leisure time watching it instead of just <laughs> trying to fit it in around my work. Jared, thanks a million for coming in. Thanks to Jackie Terrell who was on earlier to talk hurling. Thanks to you, Pat. Thanks, Mark. Thanks to Declan Behind the Glass and thanks to everybody. We will see you all next week, folks. Cheers.